everybody. Welcome to Dr. You Podcast. Appreciate y'all being here and do support the people that support us. We can kind of keep doing this thing. And as I always say, we are open to suggestions for guests. Uh, send that over to contact at drdrew.com. And check out some of this stuff I'm doing. Um, I think you guys would like the streaming show. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 3 o'clock Pacific time most weeks that we move it around a little bit. Uh, just some interesting people that have been canceled. That's who we talk to. And, of course, A&D and, of course, uh, After Dark, which uh, the Corolla Enterprise would no doubt like. Today, uh, consistent with uh, having great guests, we have today Sam Tripoli. You can see all his podcasts and his upcoming dates at samtripoli.com. It's T-R-I-P-O-L-I, correct, Sam? Yes, sir. Great to be here, Dr. Drew. Thanks for having me. We got a lot to talk about. First a lot of all, to talk let's, about. Let's debrief about the, the Skank Fest because we were both in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phenomenal yeah. thing called the Skank Fest. Which, yes. Amongst the amongst the uh, sort of odd places that I have in, interjected myself, it has to be amongst the, the wildest. Yeah, you know, we were uh, out. We were. I was with Joe DeRosa walking around, and two, uh, we'll call them African Americans on bikes to keep it politically correct. And they came up on bikes, and they go, "Hey, man, can we ask you a question?" We go, "Yeah, sure." Uh, you guys with the Skank Fest, and we're like, "Yeah." Okay, can I ask a question? I'm like, sure. I love questions. They go, are y'all are y'all all inbred? I go, are we all inbred? I go, it's Skankfest. So yes, we are all inbred here at Skankfest. <laughs> oh my god it 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 was that kind of a crowd where I see imagine somebody can come to without much imagination think that kind of thing. And and it was and it was folded in with Ellis Mania, which is its own world and crowd that I've been a part of over the years. I've seen you there many times singing the national anthem. Well, top shelf. Uh, So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I got to get in. I was at the pinata, which is I dress up like a giant pinata and everyone tries to steal my candy. And I just I did some drop kicks, got to try my jujitsu, a little bit of Krav Maga. As you can tell in the back, I am a yellow belt. So I am lovely. Yeah, bless. Yeah, they bless. tried to get me. They, they. I think they were kidding. They said, "Hey, get in the pin- pinata costume." I'm like, what, "What the f is the matter with you? Are you kidding?" <laughs> I get the. Well, fence. I saw Luis J. Gomez. Uh, his face had uh distress and eyeliner on, so I knew he needed somebody in an emergency pinch. So I decided to uh join in. Uh, the beauty, th- the beautiful thing of Skankfest is it allows you to be the the most you you want to be. <laughs> Well, to that point, and by the way, Violent Jay showed up. Those of you that are old Loveline fans, Violent uh, Jay and I have a long history together, and I, I love the guy. I just think he's the most interesting person. Uh, I so grew up in up. upstate New York, Doctor Drew, and yeah. one of the biggest events in my—I'd say I was late in the high school, uh, so I graduated ninety-one. When did Love Lines come on? Started in eighty-three, but it, it, yeah. it hit out there in like ninety-five, ninety-six. It was a big, big, big deal when one of the girls from my school, Beth, I ain't going to say her last name, got but through. she got in on Love Lines, and it was a big <laughs> event in Cortland, New York. It, it almost became a, a yearly holiday to celebrate the day somebody got Love Lines. <laughs> That's hysterical. Well, w- one of the other sort of events like Skankfest that I've always had my eye on is I, I, I like putting myself in situations where I don't belong, if you noticed. Yes. And... uh and I still have on my list with a little bit of a jaundiced eye. I'm not sure that it would be safe, but the gathering. 
Hepatitis B or C? Which one is uh, John? Desai? I'm more thinking about a Jägermeister in my skull. Respect, yeah. respect, respect. Uh, uh, the gathering is for those of you who don't know is the insane clown posse. Yes, of, of all the Juggalo faithful, and it it gets a little aggressive. I I somebody was saying, uh, did you watch the panel when Roseanne and Violent J were up there? No, I haven't seen it yet. I need to see that because that seems like some weird kind of celebrity rehab kind of meetup right there. Like, it, like it, it was your old television show. It was more, a little more, um, sort of uh, kryptonite for celebrity rehab. I would say <laughs> it's the opposite of celebrity. Rehab. It was, it was a, uh, it was insane to like take pictures with the insane clown posse. It was just. I don't know, man. I've always loved white rappers, and I guess they're one of the best. So I wanted to be a white rapper as a kid. Was oh, a no break kidding. dancer. My uh, street name in upstate New York was Wacky Fruit Bubblegum because I couldn't be whiter. And we were uh, professional break dancers, and we were sponsored by the Holiday Inn. Did did I get this wrong somewhere that you have Armenian descent? Yep, I'm half Armo. What the fuck was an Armo doing in upstate New York? That was, you know, what's so funny, man, is like I grew up thinking in Glendale, were all other armos. Oh no, 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 dude, no? we're the we're the Eastern Europeans go uh, to the East Coast, okay. and then all the the Persian armos go to Glendale. Uh, it's not just the Persian armos, but you're right; there are Persian armos because because I have lots of armo friends, right? And uh, people that blessings. Don't, what's that? Blessings. blessings. <laughs> Well, I got a lot of thoughts about Armenians, a lot, because they are very close and dear to my heart. I've got we got a ton of them because we live in Pasadena, right? So Glenn right. next door, Mark Garagos is like we went to high school together. I mean, I got old friends, Armos. I got arrested one time for buying drugs off a hooker. And I hope Mark helped you. Mark got me out, dude, and because I was doing this charity event uh, for the Armenian bone marrow registry, and mm-hmm. like I just called in my one favor from from 15 years of hosting that thing, and they were kind enough. He was kind enough. Never even charged me for the service. Got That's me out. Mark. That's Mark. He yeah, he is a good he dude. Is, people don't know that about him. He is absolutely that way. He he will he will step up when the when the time comes. No problem. Without without a blink. Yeah. He just, he just steps up. Sandy, I'm looking Sandy, for my insane Sandy. clown posse picture because it's one of my favorite pictures. Me with both the guys, both the boys. But anyway, the gathering is you know they they mention at that panel how somebody got a Jägermeister, a, a lot of Jägermeister bottles thrown at them, and I thought, oh yeah, that's right, that's what would happen to me. Um, I, if I had to pick bottles to get hit with, Jägermeister is probably the number one I don't want to get. That seems like German craftsman <laughs> class. So so let's talk about Armenian for a second. So so Armenians are extremely well educated. They are family oriented. They are incredibly hardworking, very smart, often speak multiple languages. Each of them can tell you exactly the the path their family took escaping the genocide and which villages and who helped and that kind yeah. of thing. It's, it's well everybody shares those those data. So I've heard a it's the only group that I, that you can talk to, and within three minutes, they'll mention genocide. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, we are 99-cent Jews. We're discount Jews. If well, you can't afford I, Jews, no, no. you, you I, get an Armenian. I think you're the lost tribe. I think you're the lost tribe. I'm with you on this. Yeah. I'm yeah. totally with you. As you know, um, you may not know, I am preparing for the end of days, reading the Bible, finding out who the lost tribes are. All that stuff, getting my doomsday bunker going, figuring who's going to be allowed in, who's not. 
and I am totally into lost tribes of Israel. I lost family in the genocide. My great grandfather's whole family was just basically slaughtered in front of them. And I found out that I I thought I, I am Armenian, but my tribe is from my village is from inside of Turkey. I didn't I didn't oh, re- learn that till oh, like about six months ago. I'm from the village of Vaughn, mm-hmm. and that's where my family was. And they all moved to Detroit, which seems like uh, a, a crazy parallel move to move from genocide Turkey to Detroit. But that's where they moved to. And, the, you know, so the rest is history. So to your point, um, what happened to me was I was, you know, going to charity events with the Garagos on Armenians. And and I was thinking, and I have a sort of Jewish background. Like I was respect. I went to Saturday school when I was a kid, just to navigate my own dad's extended family. And so never really was part of it really, but I, I got exposed to the culture and stuff. And I think that was his intent. And I'm sitting here at these, fundraisers going god this feels familiar this this a lot of talk about in, in and out of a foreign language yeah, right? yeah, secret, yeah secret language that everybody speaks but never speaking it all the time just sort of in and out of the foreign language the the humor is exactly the same the talk about money is exactly the same the talk about family is exactly the same i thought oh my, my this is Jew, this is jews that's 100 and then so my my son's piano teacher was an armenian soviet and he, we gonna he and I used to talk about this, and he said, you know, uh, Mount Ararat is supposedly where the Noah's Ark landed, and that makes perfect sense to me. One hundred percent. They find they are finding architecture, uh, excuse me, archaeological uh, sites that change the time history of mankind. Yeah, like we're talking Anunnaki, fallen yeah. angels yeah. showing up, setting up shop little kebab food stands in the middle of Armenia near Turkey. Cause the, the borders change all the time. So yeah. sometimes one borders are sometimes it's Armenia, sometimes it's Turkey. So right. yeah, I mean, Armenia is very interesting, which is then mm. if you should get into a spiritual thing, it's like, why, why all of a sudden are, you know, Azerbaijan mm. being attacked, you know, attacking Armenia and how much of these wars are about kind of erasing our past history. It's super interesting to me. Well, to that point, do you think we've moved closer to your end of time today as we... uh... Bro, I'm just doom scrolling through Twitter about what's going on in Israel with Palestine right now. And I'm like, this sounds like World War III to me. So, I mean, it makes me kind of sad. Yeah. Any, I, I'm anti-war, so I don't want either side hurt. I don't want either side. So, yeah, I am doom scrolling. And... You know, I'm getting right with God right now. Taking Jesus in my heart. That seems to be the big thing so I could go to the to the next level. And are you are you stocking up in your bunker in the meantime? Or oh, you- dude, I got guns. I'm learning Thai boxing and jujitsu. I'm taking seven. I, I got seven podcasts. I'm taking three martial arts. I'm just ready to, you know, in case, you know, any the shit hits the fan. I'm ready to go. In case. So so tell me about the podcast, because I you're the only other guy than than me that I know of that likes doing lots of different podcasts. There, there are a few people that have like two or three, but you know, I've got like four or five. Yeah, I have seven. Like, yeah, and I've had up to seven. I've had a couple other ones that sort of fell by the wayside, but w- tell me about them. Talk about so them. So I have my, my big one that everyone knows, Tim Fall Hat. That's kind of like the well-known one. Then I have one with Brian Callen called Conspiracy Social Club, where we debate each other and he loses all the time. <laughs> uh, 
because he loves propaganda. Then I, and I love him very much. <laughs> then I have broken sim where I just see if I could just milk, just talk about my week and like find jokes in it. Then I have uh, a financial show called Cash Daddies. Then I have a show called The Union of the Unwanted, where I get all the best independent researchers uh, together with a couple of my friends, uh, Charlie, um, Ricky, and Midnight Mike, and it's a very it, it does very well. Then I have my spiritual podcast Zero, uh, my my sports podcast Punch Drunk Sports, mm. and I think that's all of them right there. So. The reason I do that is because I ha I I'm sober. Uh, blessings was yesterday. I had I am two years, uh, ten months. If God willing, I'll get to three years. Uh, and I have to keep moving. I have to keep moving, or else the demons come dancing, and I start getting bored. Like I've now quit pornography. I'm down to sugar and coffee and breathing. Those are the last of my vices. Uh, I, I well, will not give up coffee. I don't care if it gives me AIDS. So I will I, not. I finally found my picture. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, I, I can see it. I guess I have to hold it back. That's here. your skank fest. Me picture? and the boys. No, this was me and the boys years ago. Years ago. The ICP guys. Oh, there we go. There we go. Favorite photo. Um, <laughs> the people you've seen. Uh, right. Crazy. Super crazy. And it all just kind of happened to me. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, of course, it is the end of the year. It's holidays are upon us, and people can have a lot of feelings. It's natural to feel some sadness, anxiety, diminished, well, thwarted expectation, frankly. And therapy can be a bright spot amidst all the stress and change. And, of course, I personally benefit from therapy. I've, I've been involved with treating mental health patients. I've sent family, friends, patients of mine to BetterHelp. I'm very pleased with the services provided there. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. There's no longer any excuses. With the BetterHelp, there's no stigma. You're not running into anybody. It is entirely online. And why would you take care of other parts of your body and not your brain? Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew. Back to the uh, Skankfest. So DeRosa uh, was sort of one of the legendary um, headlines for some yeah. It was him and, and uh, Stan Hope. But DeRosa did engage in some um, behavior that uh, became one. Of, well, I'll tell you what Stanhope did first. Stanhope was up on with me. Corolla bailed out of the Skank Fest, and Stanhope and uh, uh, Big J and Annie Laterman kindly helped me out. Uh, and Stanhope got a little bored, and he was drinking vodka, uh, bourbon up there on the stage. The best. Announced that he had to pee. And so he stood up and peed into the into these beer cups. And then drank it. Oh, my. That's Doug Stanhope, though. Yeah. I've known that guy for almost, I'd say, tw 26 years. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's Stanhope. We did the ATC Festival, and he peed on Ari. <laughs> and it was the greatest moment ever. It was the greatest <laughs> moment ever. And here's the thing. He's incredibly crazy, and he's also the nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. Well, that's, that is my point about Dan, uh, uh, Stanhope. 
Doug Stanhope, which is people think he and I would be at odds or that I would be loath to be around him because he does stuff that is is dangerous for him. Yeah. Yeah. And my thing yeah. is, my thing is, though, no, I, I love the person. He does things that scare, that worry me like crazy. And I'm here to help if I could ever be of help. In the meantime, he is all human being. You know what I mean? Yes. He is like all human living his life the way he wants to. God bless him. Uh, have at it. I, he I fights hope for the little guy. Like oh if somebody God, needs help, Doug Stanhope shows up and yeah. does whatever he can to help the little guy to win. Always. And he's always been like that. Yes. He has this really, and I've, I'm going to be honest with you, when it comes to comedy, I've known this, Dr. Drew, is like not all clean comics are assholes. But most mm. asshole comics were clean. Mm. And the ones who are really dark and dirty on stage tend to be the nicest people off stage. That's interesting. They get their rage out on the stage. And then they, yeah. they kind of can be themselves. And it's super interesting. And again, not all clean comics are behold uh, dickheads. I know a lot of very clean comics who are wonderful human beings, yeah. but the ones that tend to like drive the other comedians nuts or treat the staff like crap tend to work clean that's really interesting and i have sort of noticed the same thing the way i've sort of clocked it was these guys that are really uh edgy seem very sensitive underneath yeah 100 uh, percent, super sensitive like, like i'm just thinking about big j for instance i think that guy's and very sensitive and uh and and they can be harsh they really can but that's usually out of fear or anger yeah, they're very sensitive. Uh, yeah. In recovery, it's it's some called uh, King Baby, almost. You know what I'm saying? Where yeah, in that's recovery, a little it's different. about an ego. That's a little, a little bit different. Yeah, you know, that, that's different. about an ego, but yeah. more about like how you're this crazy person on stage, and then off stage, you're like super sensitive. And I've noticed it never goes away. I remember one time I was watching Bill Burr uh, back in the day before COVID. I had comedy chaos and I, you know, I just have nothing but savages going up. So you have to figure out who can follow who. So right. I had Joe Rogan, you got to get Joe Rogan up and out whenever he wants. And then rate yeah. like one, a one B is, is Bill Burr. And so Joe Rogan's going up and he's just crushing and Bill Burr's pacing in the back going, why do I got follow this guy? And I'm like, well, cause you're the heavyweight champion. So he goes up, he crushes, he gets off stage and he's like, is that okay? Was that okay? And I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh, it yeah. never ends. It yeah, never yeah. ends. We're yeah. always constantly insecure, judging mm. ourselves. And it's just super interesting. It's just like, it's kind of something I'm going through right now where it's like, you know, it's like, I I'm just going through this thing right now where I seem, I I'm a little bit more detached from the comedy scene in mm. Los Angeles. And I almost to the point where I don't even want to go up in this town anymore because I feel like half the time you walk into these comedy clubs, you're, you're doing the Buzzfeed staff party and it's like a bunch of social justice warriors, all super upset about everything. And yeah, I, I like in Los Angeles, I just feel like provocative is dangerous. Sarcasm is a felony. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's super sensitive about certain things. And when it's like, in reality, I just like to talk about the the, the world that I live in. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I have noticed that too. And, uh, you know, I sort of see it through Corolla's perspective where he, he gets sort of unasked to do things for no reason. <laughs> yeah, other right. than he's not towing the party line the way they want the line towed. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that comedy is supposed to be posing questions and ideas and poking and making us uncomfortable. That's the job of the comedian. All during COVID, I kept saying, where are the comedians? What, what, yeah. what is going on here? We were trying, man. We were trying. And it's like I was just doing a show at the comedy store the other day. And the comedy store is my house. I love everybody there. But it was a packed house. And I'm like, yeah, they're going to try to bring these masks back. But we're not going to allow them, right? And the room was just silent. There wasn't any cheering. There wasn't any, no, we're not going to. Like I was like, we're not going to allow them to bring it back, right? And like just people staring at us. So oh, on the no. when the show ended and people were leaving, I was just like, say no to the mask. <laughs> Don't let go as, as the last person left. So I mean, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm out there. But it's very weird to me because I just feel like, especially in comedy, like the comedians have all go, well, these are the rules. Oh. And they isn't they, a comedy about not following the rules. Isn't that the think, very essence? I don't know if because of podcasting or whatever, so much money has been just in, interjected into comedy right now. Where like back in the day, the few got the money, and the and uh. the rest of them scrambled. Now with a podcast, everybody can make money, and mm. I'm just worried that people are more concerned about that than they are. And like I don't like. My whole thing is be the most authentic you. I don't care. Like, you know, it's like, you know, Nate Bergazzi is super clean and he's hilarious and he's a wonderful guy. And that's his authentic self. You know, mm-hmm. I, if you're uh, like for me, I'm just like I see the world through very crazy eyes and or what would be what would be labeled crazy eyes. And I want to talk about it on stage. But for some reason, Everybody, including the comedy community, does not like that. They want everybody to play by these rules for some unknown reason. I don't get it. Uh, you know, it's like, who is punk rock anymore? Who are the anarchists? Who are the outlaws? I don't know what happened. I think COVID just ran out all the outlaws out of L.A. It's, it used to be back in the day, Dr. Drew, where you would do your edgier stuff in L.A. And then you would go tour the country, go to the Midwest. You'd have to clean it up. Now uh-huh. in LA, like I'm self-editing as I'm going on stage. Yes, you're you're all going to become Shecky Green and Alan King. I just, it's going to be it's going to be the fucking Ed Sullivan show or nothing. And and that's and the the real kings of comedy, you know, Pryor and and Carlin and uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the guy from the the early 50, late fifties. Um, oh, the uh, uh, Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce. The, these guys are somehow now uh, what sideways? They're misfits. They don't. They you shouldn't be following their lead. It's unbelievable. And I don't know if it's that there's so much information now on Twitter that they're being bombarded with bad news that maybe they just want to go and forget which is different back mm. in the day where you'd get like the newspaper or your news. And then that was the, that was the end of the onslaught of, right. uh, you know, doom. But right. I don't know. I, I, I think people should be asking more and more questions than ever. And it just seems like people just, it's getting weird where like, you know, I was watching, um, I was watching star Wars, the new star Wars series with the all female Jedi show. And they had this moment there where they go to this foreign planet 
and it's the it's the lead female Jedi with this like kind of Jedi Boba Fett kind of female care who's like a waif model. She weighs a hundred pounds, but she's beating up everybody, which is fine, I guess, in in fantasy land. And and they find a Jedi who lives on the um planet and so they're riding on these weird horses and they stop and the camera shows in the female jedi and then on the other horse the female jedi is 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 basically driving why the male jedi who is from the planet is sitting on the horse riding shotgun right and just for a moment you kind of just go what is going on here in comedy the minute you make somebody think even for a second it takes a little heat off the fastball when it's like, if you look at these arena acts, who I love all of them, this is an, they're, it's like easily digestible. We've gone to a place of comedy, even through Zuckerberg and his, his thumb on the, the scale, competitive scale of comedy. It's just really simple, easily digestible stuff. And the minute you make somebody think that takes heat, heat off your fastball and it's just gotten weird. It's, yeah, I, it's in weird. 2023, I, I, I would I, never expect that. I did see one wonderful arena show in uh, New Orleans, which was um, Segura, Rogan, Chappelle. Oh, my. Um, it was just great. It was a great. All my favorites. Yeah, that was a great uh, thing. All and they, they my did favorites. Hold back. Did not hold back. Yeah, I mean, like, wherever Rogan goes is like, it, it was so funny back in the day when Rogan was still at the comedy store, I could tell a difference in the crowd. If Rogan was on the lineup, you could go off. If Rogan wasn't on the lineup, you would have to, like, oh, again, self-edit. And that's kind of what's going on. He's left, the, you know, the king has left the top. I have different names for the top four guys. in my. Huh. Uh, they have different labels for me. Like, Chappelle is the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. He's been yeah. doing it longer and had more greatest hits. Bill Burr is the heavyweight champ. He's like the king right now. And then you have uh, Rogan's the godfather because he's just <laughs> like everybody kisses the ring. And, and then uh, David Tell is is the is the king. He's just the greatest writer yeah. of them all. And they all have different energies and stuff like that. But I don't see him a lot in comedy in, in L.A. anymore. No, they go to don't. Austin. They go to they Austin. Move, and he took that energy with him. Yeah, they go to Austin. And the, the center of gravity has moved to Austin. Yeah, 100%. And, and I love and the, it. And, and it's the, a super young scene. So yeah. I show up. I'm 50, hanging out with 25-year-olds. And we're just in different – but it's like you can tee off there, which is a lot of fun. I just want to be the most authentic I could be. That's my biggest thing. Like, I don't want to lie to my crowd. I want them – I want to be a lighthouse in a sea of shit, to be honest with you. That's mm -hmm. what I'm looking for in comedy. And I don't know – where that leads me but that's what i want to do and it just makes me sad that you know just the comedy community as a whole like we've gotten away from the outlaws there's no there's not a lot of outlaws anymore which it makes me kind of uh, like well they're like, around they're around yeah. i mean gomez louis you've mentioned louis i think big j i think even david smith and dave smith is transgressive in his own way uh have you done kill tony yeah i, I mean i basically taught to, I took Tony on the road and taught him how to like fine tune a joke, you know, and <laughs> and now he's he's like, you've taught me everything I know. I'm like, thank you, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's an amazing, amazing brand right there to see where it came from to where it is. Same thing with the the comedy jam to see where Josh Ammeyer started and then now he's doing arenas. It's like unbelievable to me. It's like such a blessing of time too. It's just, it's a blessing to be alive. It's never been better. I, I'm, I'm able to take care of my kids talking mad smack about conspiracies and 
you know, which is a blessing. Uh, I mean, I've always been a conspiracy theorist since I discovered uh, the truth about Santa Claus in case you have some children. <laughs> right. The two moments, right. Santa Claus. And then when the Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan got busted in a car together, mm. rocked my world <laughs> because they were supposed to hate each other in the WWF. Yep. And here they are getting drunk in a car together. And I'm like, nothing is real. And ever since then, I questioned everything. I was on one of my one of my many bizarre moments, but uh, crowning achievements was being on the cover of the, I think it was the Toronto Sun Times with uh, the Iron Sheik. God bless. One of the best things I ever did was the roast of the Iron Sheik at the Comedy Store. It was uh, it was amazing, man. And like, like I don't really celebrities don't do anything for me. Very rarely do I get excited about a celebrity. But man, when I saw Roddy Piper at the comedy store, I was like, I geeked out because that was my childhood right there. So funny. You've heard me talk about the Jordan Harbinger podcast. Of course, each conversation with a fascinating guest and Jordan himself is fascinating. Talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who gives techniques on how to get people to like you and trust you and how to... You know, it sounds useful and, and disturbing at the same time. Uh, of course, another story is the cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle, made one of the most important archaeological finds of this century. Jordan Harbour is a brilliant guy himself. He's had incredible life experiences, and he's always pulling useful, practical insights out of his guests. Not pop psychology, nothing. It's penetrating. Episodes are loaded with bits of wisdom. I enjoy the show. I think you will, too. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It is The Jordan Harbinger Show. So back to conspiracies, let's talk a little COVID conspiracy, because I have a streaming show I do where we try to unpack sort of what's out there and try to figure out what's real. Um, I, I always enjoy talking to conspiracy people because they, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to necessarily embrace what you got, Sam, but, but I, it helps me think outside the box. I start, oh, that's an interesting thought. Uh, so where, where are you at with all that? Well, I mean, I, I don't know how deep you want to go and I don't want to go too deep with, it, you know, but <laughs> I am 100% believe that this was planned. Uh, you know, when you have pandemic. Plandemic. When I, when you have the Congress passing laws a year or two before anything even happens involving COVID, then you must start to ask questions. You know, well, what about what about the the uh, sort of notion that and and you know you're referring to many things, including the uh, war games they were doing a year before, not even a year before, where a virus escapes from Wuhan and what? Oh yeah. The, what is that? Uh, event 201. Event 201, right. Um, but what about the fact that these assholes were so, should I use that strong word? Yes. These, these professionals were so geared up. They, their whole life was about a pandemic and prepared. And when they've, they're like a giant hammer waiting for a big nail to emerge. And they saw a little nail. They went, oh, God, here we go. Yeah, 100%. Pull the trigger. And so it really doesn't have to be a conspiracy so much as an entire industry and a professional class that is just geared up and ready to pull the trigger on this. And they did it and they loved it. That's what I saw. 
Well, 100%. And you kind of go through like, you know, when you look at Dale's Buyers Club, you go, who's the bad guy in that movie? And you go, it's it's the same bad guy from COVID, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci. And you just start, you know, uh, as a conspiracy theorist, I learned to question everything. I learned that from my father. He said, don't believe anything you hear and half what you see. And I thought he was a very paranoid man at that time. And then it started to pay off. But I remember watching yeah well i mean i come from very paranoid stock and it's a blessing they gave me two things paranoia and comedy and i'm uh and, sense and of humor and, and well yeah probably man i'm sure i'm a little closer than my father than i would like to admit but um in terms of like addictions and stuff like that but you know when you start to watch like the slow roll out of like all these mysterious videos coming out of china and people just falling and you're like well that never happened until we saw what vaccines come out and then we start seeing people just falling on the uh on the the field and we start to question like this just this timeline of how they slow rolled out this propaganda to get people uh upset and then you start learning about agenda 2030 and what that's about digital ids uh one world currency one world government you know you got the who acting like they can just pass a uh uh a plan de- a pandemic treaty where uh they they can take over and supersede any laws uh, of whatever country they want to and it's just like oh this is all prophesized this is all prophesized and this is why like as crazy as it like i'm a knuckle dragging okay drug addict sex addict and like i'm like okay i gotta start reading because everyone's like dude this is all in the bible i'm just gonna start reading it and j- just to see what and again i'm not gonna ever push my views on anybody live and love i don't care as long as you're not hurting people in particular mm-hmm. children here. you'll never I'm hear here. anything from me live yep. your life but man when you start to see this it's like the mark of the beast starting to come out and now we got this israeli palestine thing where everyone's like this is world war three coming it's just it's kind of crazy, man. It's well, kind of so crazy. Scriptures generally, to me, are just, just among, however else you want to believe about them or you think they are. But one thing that I think you have to agree they are is just collective wisdom recorded. It's just recorded collective wisdom about human behavior. And I've lived long enough to see, oh, when you get a big sweep under your belt of history, of human behavior and societies and things, you can start to put things together and write it down. And if if multiple people do that over multiple generations, you're going to have some pretty profound truths in there. When you start to study any events and you really start to study history, you start to see that these events seem to repeat themselves. Correct. And then what what basically comedian, uh, conspiracy theorists are, are just historians. People can get really angry at it because... You know, there's a lot of reason why people don't want to be conspiracy theorists, and I understand it. You know, uh, they think like, oh, my God, is everything a conspiracy? Well, I could sit there and tell you what you the air you breathe, the food you eat, the water you drink, the uh, the the entertainment you consume. They've it's uh, it's all been manipulated at some point. So, yeah, it is. And that, that seems overwhelming. But I would tell you, don't don't try to, you know solve all the war- world problems in one moment. Just kind of take yourself slow. Start with something right. simple like the JFK assassination and then go from there. And then <laughs> you just simple. start to see the same <laughs> game plan over and over again, right? You just see the same well, playbook over and over again. The, the, my thing, I, and I'm glad you doubt everything. I think that's an important position for people to have. 
It's free. I know the 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 sheep and lemmings uh, stepped in without thinking this most recent experience, but um, and, and not their fault, by the way. People intentionally scaring the shit out of them. But let, let's kind of examine, say, the Dallas Buyers Club, for instance, right? Right. Um, it, it's it's ne- it's never quite what you think it was. Much like, has anybody ever written any uh, press about you? And you look at it and go, "Oh my god!" This no, is I understand the reality. Saying. I understand what you're saying. Like the movie has a certain point of view and it Not narrates it view, to that view. So here I was there. So I was there treating AIDS patients. I was actually there when we opened the AZT boxes. We got them from the FDA and we were like, oh. we we were putting, we would I, all day I would see young men and go, I'm sorry you have six months to live. I'm sorry you have six months to live. And we were never wrong. That was the best case. And finally we had something we had something that might extend those guys' lives by three months or six months while we came up with other ideas. Right. So it was a magnificent breakthrough. It actually was this huge breakthrough. Now, because people were living a little longer with it, people started overdosing on it and taking too much of it. And that's what the dire, that, the, the movie portrayed. The guy got sick because he took too much. Yes, you take too much of any medication. Right. You're, you're really sick. Then... What happened was, and it wasn't strictly the Dallas Buyer Club responsibility, we were encouraging people to go down to the Dallas Buyers Clubs and, and anything like that uh, prior to AZT because we had nothing. We, we couldn't do anything. They were just right. dying. And if anybody wanted to make them feel better, I, please go, whatever. But then those same people got in the way. Don't believe those doctors. They don't know what they're doing. Stay away from them. AZT is causing AIDS. And then if you're probably too young for this, but Spin Magazine wrote a series of articles. Bob Guccione's Jr. killed thousands of young men. This article was atrocious. It was like a five-part thing where, yes, he was questioning everything, which I value, but he he was instructing people to not be in the medical system, not get care. And it went on for years when, and by the end of that, we did have things we could do. We could keep these guys alive and they were still unwilling to come in and, and take help because it was all seen as, Oh, you the Gallo organization caused HIV. AZT causes the syndrome. All the antivirals are bad. And you see how kind of nuanced it is, like like we. Yes, no, I, I understand what you're saying. I, yeah. I, you know, I think I have I my own views. You live through it, so I'm gonna I, and I trust you. So it's like, and, I and just I'm find- not. But the the criticisms that you would have of Fauci, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't disagree with. I've seen now what yeah. he's capable of, and I've seen the movies. I've seen RFK's book and film on it. And it's like, hmm, that's concerning. Um, and, and but. I was able to help young men because of whatever shenanigans. And again, it's like when you're in it in the in the moment, I I totally understand what you're going through. I I, I do think that we have to listen. I I think if if every decision is met with absolute and utter resistance, Mm -hmm. nothing will ever get done. Mm -hmm. But I do think it is important to have whether a small segment going Okay, does this make any sense? Oh, I dis- I, I completely agree. Completely you know, agree. I, 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 I would know, not discourage that at all. I, it, I, it, not- what is the big picture on everything? Oh, yeah. And Listen, it's just like I, I'm going to go moderate a panel for RFK Jr. because I think his his 
pulling the lid off the government capture and the corporate excesses in the money. I I am very interested in that because something is wrong. You can see you can see that something is wrong. I agree. And so I I think it's like, you know, the truth is always somewhere in the middle, you know, and even as a conspiracy theorist, I have Mm, seen people in my community go a little too crazy on certain edges. And I go, I'm not going to go that far into it. I push back. I try to come from a common sense point of view. But I do believe it's important to question when money and power and, and the ability to grab more money and grab more power but i also want to say something man yeah and this is something i think is very important i also believe there's like a lot of stuff when we sit here and we're constantly having the same conversations over and over again about money and power and we only look at it from money and power and we don't take a spiritual look at it yes and that there's things going on that maybe the average person doesn't understand. And I, I totally get it. It's a lot of work. People are stretched thinner than ever. Like what really upsets me, Dr. Drew is this narrative that Americans are lazy. It upsets me. Mm. It upsets me when they go, look at a beach for 1950, no fat people. No, look at a beach for today. Fat people. I go, the, the amount of hours that the people in 1950 were working versus the amount of hours that the people have to work today and then the ingredients in the food back then versus the ingredients in the food right now, two totally different things. The people today have to work way harder for less money and they have a lot shorter time to sit down, cook a good meal with the right ingredients because they go get the right ingredients and you study what's in the ingredients. You see people do it all the time. European ingredients versus American ingredients, and it tends to have a lot more chemicals in it. So I, I, I am somebody who, who, who understands that people don't have all the time in the world to sit down and study every issue. And we, we, they, we tend to try to find a brand of people that we, we trust. And sometimes even those people are corruptible and it's just the way it is. I, listen, I, I, uh, I sign off on everything you just said. Yes, 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 and yes. Uh, and, and and by the way, part of this thing I'm doing in San Jose on, I think it's October 27th or something, uh, includes food, discussion about food and food capture and big ag and all that stuff. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in hearing about it. Yeah, I just think that, like, uh, you know, my I have two girls. You know, I, I'm always in awe of you with triplets. I've, I have twins. Crazy, right? And the chaos that mm. three of them must be crazy uh, Two, I, uh, you know, two kids uh, at the same time. Uh, and what that, what that involves And my, my girlfriend who helps me with my children, my children love my girlfriend. And she's always like, I don't know how my mom did uh, four kids. I go, well, that was it. Your mother, that was all she had to focus on. And your dad was able to work a job with reasonable hours and come home with a paycheck yep. that allowed everybody not only to uh, to be able to pay all the bills, but also save enough money to take everybody on a trip and have a retirement, all that. Those not days- only that, Sam, but there, there's, a, there's a piece that people often don't think about, which is you could rely on the education system. The public education system was decent. Yeah. You knew the peers of the kids that were going to be there and the families of those kids were going to be trustworthy, you know, to watch your kids. It's just things. uh, hmm, It's worrisome. I, I, you know, like you said, history does go in cycles. And I, I, a a historian just told me recently, she, she studies East Germany and, you know, and she said, look, it's going to get a lot worse, but then it's going to get a lot better. 
Yeah, I, I 100%. Listen, man, I'm a spiritual man. I, you know, I am a Christian and which is crazy being the guy that did the comedy show with the porn stars. And, you know, he says the F word when he's, uh, instead of, um, I, I'm trying, you know, but there, there's a spiritual aspect to this again. And whether you believe in Christianity, Islam, Judaism, whatever it is. You know, there's also the hermetic principles, which are the laws of the universe, you know, and a lot of it is energy and the energy you put out is the energy you get back. And love is the answer to everything. Mm. And the people at the highest levels, no matter who it is and whether you want it to be Klaus Schwab and the WEF, whatever your view is on that, they aren't bigger than the universe. They're mm. not. The universe is bigger than all. God is bigger than all. And it's energy. And if you're putting out this negative energy, Ah, uh, negative energy will come back to you. Love conquers everything. And these people who try to run the world and all that. I've tried to throw parties where I invited 20 people and the wheels fell off and chaos. And at the end of the day, we were just happy to get through it. And uh, so I couldn't imagine trying to run the world and trying to get everybody to follow the rules. And it just yeah. doesn't work like that. That's my that's my opinion. Love conquers all. That's that's all I want to say. <laughs> Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. So let, let's morph into recovery and talk about that. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously it, it's, a, it's a, these you've, you've alluded to your conditions a few times. You've, I've, I've caught it when you've mentioned your specific diagnoses. And, and these are interesting problems. I know them very, very well. They're very human problems. Uh, and recovery is this extraordinary thing. I get to see people like flourish like they ever knew they could. So how is how would you like to address that? Because well, it's also a spiritual thing. And by the way, leave room for me in the um, bunker house that you're building. And, and my dude, wife, you're in, bro. Kids. Bring the twin triplets. <laughs> triplets. We'll we'll hang out. Everybody's welcome. We'll learn jujitsu, taekwondo, and ju and Thai boxing and Krav Maga. So right. uh, I am a recovering sex and drug addict. Uh, it started out with alcohol, moved to cocaine, and then crystal meth cured me of my coke problem. That's mm, uh, a little joke I say in recovery. Mm -hmm. um, and you know when you when you're when you grow up, you know I was sexually active at in first grade, and okay, so we we call that sexual abuse of children. What whatever was happening, that is childhood sexual abuse, whether it was child on child. Yeah. or adolescent on child or adult on child that is 
childhood sexual abuse. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened. And then I had a very, I had a weird thing happen to me in uh, high school. I think it was seventh grade. I asked a girl out. She said she laughed in my face. I never asked a girl out ever again, ever again, ever. I it was like, just traumatized me. Mm -hmm. So I had, I had a weird relationship with sex very weird relationship mm -hmm. so now you, you know i was a bad drunk because i had a lot of pain and suffering in myself i never felt respect i come from paranoid people who did great jobs i'm very i wouldn't trade my parents for anything they're wonderful people they did the best they could and um you know so i i had this issue with you know drugs and alcohol and i always say that like Drug addiction and sex addiction are like peanut butter and jelly. Mm -hmm. uh, they come together in particular cocaine, speed, yep. pornography, all that stuff is just, you know, holding hands and skipping, you know, mm -hmm. together. And I just got lost in it. I became a functional drug addict for a very long time. People didn't know if I was on drugs or not. Some, some knew, but my energy was off. But people would always say, I didn't know you were high. And I just was Other addicts, no. Yeah. For sure. For mm -hmm. sure. So I always talk about the moment, the lowest moment of my life was when I was coming off a run and I had to take care of my kids. And I decided they were six months old and I decided mm -hmm. that it's never going to happen again. And I got sober and now I've been sober ever since. And, you know, and I'm working on my recovery. I'm quitting pornography. I just find it to be low vibrational. Uh, just me personally, I'm not judging people. But so, you know, so I have a couple questions. So, so, uh, have you had any treatment for the childhood trauma? Like specific treatment? No, I've never really gone you, to that. You, you might of... look at that. I, I can tell the way you like to push it aside that, that, that would be very, very helpful to do some EMDR or that sort of thing. You don't have to revivify it. You don't have to be sort of amplifying the feelings. You just have to connect with the parts that gets disconnected by the trauma. That's all. It, yeah. It's, yeah, so look I'm, at that. Number one, I'm done. Uh, number two, uh, you identify as a sex addict, but I did you do just that in your first and fourth step, or did you actually do some essay work? Or essay I have done LA? essay work, and then I fall off because I relapse, and then I with the porn, with the porn. Yeah, okay. and and here's the thing: it, it, it's just you know, again, like I I've said this before: seven podcasts, three martial arts stand-up comedy as often as possible because when i stop moving the demons come dancing well the, the the demons and the the hyper the uh, sympathetic hyper stimulation the movement which is your yes. nervous system all geared yes. up that's the trauma that that can get re-regulated really easily where this will always be you you'll always be this guy and doing lots of stuff but it won't be so threatening to to stop or choose to stop or slow down or do something a little less because that's all sitting there. That's all just still sitting there. And recovery does a great job in managing it and making it better and stuff. But it's the difference between a, you know, a recovery and a full recovery, in my opinion. And by full recovery, I mean managing all the, what you call demons, I just call dysregulations. They're just unregulated parts of yourself. That you, I'm sure you've seen how many traumatized people are in the rooms, right? It's everybody. Yeah, yeah it's just part of the, the deal. Thing. Yeah, that's it's part it. of the deal. And, and, and in my world, uh, you know, if you ever came to see me, the the probability of childhood trauma, real, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and abandonment, neglect, 100% probability if you have bad enough addiction that you saw me. Uh, I never had a patient without that, at least once we got to be a really high quality program. Um, 
And so it's a common thing. It's just a really common thing. And we went through a pandemic of that shit. That's why kids were acting out on each other because the adults did it first and uh, started in the seventies really did. It was out of control. You know, kids were just little people, little adults, whatever, whatever they're into, man, they, they were into it. You still hear that shit in the, some of that weird community. Yes. Uh, so it upsets me, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. There was just children on the neighborhood. We were all, you know, some people came from some really bad homes and yeah. people were acting out. And, yeah. But it, it but it, but it, I was a part of it, man. And I was hyper, hyper sexualized mm-hmm. uh, early. I mean, like, I just had that in me. I've always felt that wiring since I was a kid. I mm-hmm. always felt it. I always blamed on being half Italian, half Armenian. I'm just like. Uh, yeah, but but was, kids, they, they, they can feel lots of physical energy for touch and they can feel lots of physical energy for sort of the, this sort of love addiction stuff. All that stuff is childhood stuff, but the actual activation of sexual desire can only happen if somebody acts out on them. They just doesn't happen on its own. It gets wired in as a result of somebody doing something to them. And that actually it shatters the upper limits of the brain's ability to regulate when that happens. And that shattering causes a part of the self to kind of go in the, in the back and then parts of the body to kind of not regulate properly because they're disconnected. The body became this source of overwhelming stimulation that childhood brains can't handle. And, uh, and there, and off you go. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy your life. Now try to try to manage your feelings. Now you're 14, you're 15, you're 16. Oh my God. You know, it was crazy. Of course, people reach for drugs then. I had two girlfriends for about two weekends in all of high school. Yeah. Because I just had no normal relationship with women. Then I go to college and like being funny went from like weirdo in high school to like very attractive to women. And Mm. I went to UNLV. I was in Vegas and it just got nuts like all the time. Because I had no real understanding of love and like in terms of like I was loved by my parents, but I like in terms of an interaction with another human being my age and all that stuff. And it just became sport. And then it became drugs and alcohol and it got chaotic, man. Yeah. And and ultimately, those things are intimacy disorders, right? You couldn't couldn't tolerate intimacy. And, and, you know, having treated many, many sex and love addicts, various types. They'll all say the same thing. You go, what do you want? And they go, I just want a relationship. They'll all say that every single one. It's all, when I first started hearing that, when I first started working with that group, I was like, what? You have relationships, but no, they they don't have relationships. They have sort of, I don't know what they're. What would you would? How would you characterize them? Well, you know, it's like I never saw my father ever kiss my mother, mm. ever. So, and I know my father had a lot of trauma in his life, and it mm. took us having a real conversation about him and how he acted and him going. Cause that's how I was tre- taught. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, this guy's a little hurt kid too. And it's just like, you know, this, this kind of more and more just generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I'm not intimate. I don't hold hands. I don't, but with my daughters, I hug them and tell them I love them all the time because I just want them to, I just want to break the generational Oh, of Trauma. course, you've, you've done that. You've done that with your recovery, right? Yeah. And, and I'm just, a, when I said, you know, get your EMDR and stuff, by the way, I have a great referral for you if you need it in LA. I'm down. Uh, I'm in, please. Right. But but uh, the, the 
the fact is that your your relationship with your sponsor and your your conduct in your fourth and fifth step. Do you sponsor other people now? Yes. Yeah. And and be sitting there and bearing witness to other people's pain and relating to it and uh, attuning to it. That's intimate. That's a kind yes. of an intimacy. That's rebuilding the old structures uh, that should have been in place that were not. Uh, so I am a huge fan of recovery doing a lot of the work for the kinds of thing we're talking about. So it doesn't surprise me that you can be intimate with your daughters. It doesn't surprise me. I love them. And yeah. they give me hope and they change my life. So I am interested in all of it. I am open. I love dealing with my trauma. I love like, you know, when I got to make an amends to somebody, I love all that. I love to own up. I I, I can see, I can, I, you know, when you get sober, you become very in tune with your soul, your mind and your body. I, you know, like I was drinking this energy drink when I got, and then I would just a day later, I'd feel so depressed. And it happened all the time that I realized that my body does not react well to this energy drink. It caused me to be depressed. So I stopped drinking mm-hmm. it and just certain things caused me to have certain kind of things. So Long story short, I am open-minded to all of it. I, I've gone to recovery in sex addiction and love addiction, and then I run away uh, because I, I just have these moments where I just, I feel boredom. Yeah. And I feel like I need but, to and, feel and something. And do you know what boredom is for uh, for uh, addicts and alcoholics? It, it's the feeling you get just before depression. Yes. And and so the boredom makes you go do something so you don't feel the depression. Yep. That's exactly it. To feel something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sending you a contact right now. Let me make sure that I have your, there it is. I got your number. There it goes. This woman is wonderful. Okay. And she's perfect. And she's in recovery. She knows recovery. She fits this kind of treatment into the recovery process. And you wouldn't have to go many times even. I just texted. Da- I will do it. I will yeah. do it. You don't have to be like in three, four, five visits, you will be like, holy shit. I didn't know that so much could change in such a short period of time. I'm in. I'm down. Yeah. And I will, as soon as we're done, I will contact her and see sure. if we can get the ball rolling. Right. There, there she may she may yet uh uh regret that I sent that. <laughs> You're gonna <laughs> see me make, right now, right now, right I'll now. I'll make it look good. I'll make it look good, man. I will make it look good. She's getting me with a lot of recovery, so I'm open minded to all of it. Of course, of course. Well, Sam, listen, this has been a this has been a, a great run. We've sort of we've we've run the cycle, you know what I mean? I feel like I love it. I love it. I, I be, I've been fantasizing about this for a long time. Yeah. About talking to you, Dr. Drew. I hope it went okay. Uh, that was great. I, I want to do more stuff with you. So so hang tight. We're gonna we're gonna be bugging you to do some things and I'm happy I'm to down help. all the time, every time. Yeah. And uh to tell people where they should go. Just go samtriple.com, Sam Triple across all social media, but samtriple.com is where you'll find all my my dates, uh all my uh you know, I'm on rockfin.com for all my premium content. And then you you can listen to all seven of my free audio podcasts or videos at samtriple.com as well. Excellent. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Thank you.